I'm going to ask you to open the God's Word to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning verse 22. Uh, last week, I understand that, that Pastor Wynn uh, brought you Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 21, correct? He was preaching out of the Revised Lectionary which is pretty cool because when you preach out of the lectionary, which I've never done before, last week was my first time, then you join in with millions of other Christians all around the world to hearing the same passage. So what I'm going to do today is continue that passage today. And I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God incidences. But this was exactly the passage that had been on my heart, and I, I think it's so appropriate for this time right here, right now. It's Luke chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. Now, just for a moment here, I, I want to pause and, and just share a little bit about my own heart and, and, and where I am right at this moment. Um, I, I don't know about you, but, but for the past six years have been a time of a lot of divisiveness. It's been a time where there's been a lot of rejection in my own life, and it's, I've lost a lot of friends and family. It started right around 2016, right around the time when these things that we call the primary election started happening, right? And I was, I've never been really political. Actually, I'm very political. I have a king, and he's on the throne, but, but you, you know what I mean. Um, 2016 was the first time that I really felt people's anger and animosity with what's going on in politics. Before that, it was just like, okay, I'm just here to do a job. And I, I signed up to join the Navy because I love my country and I love my God. And, and this job enabled me to, to do both. And I can't believe I get paid with government dollars to preach the gospel. I have never compromised on the gospel a day in the chaplain corps. Most of my friends think I do. They think I'm like, I'm going to preach uh, to the more seasoned people. And you remember Father Mulcahy from MASH? Like, it, like wait a minute, you're, you're like... You become a priest, and then you become an um, imam, and then you become a, a, a rabbi. I'm like, no, 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 that's not, that's not how it is. In the chaplain corps, we are endorsed. I'm endorsed by the Coalition of Spirit-Filled Churches. If you've met Rob Wilkerson, he's my CSC brother. And so I'm a Jesus guy. I'm a Jesus guy. I believe Jesus is the king. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. I'm, I've never compromised that a day in, in the Navy. And I'm sure your, your army chaplains are solid as well. I'm not, I don't see any of them compromising on that. It's not what we get paid to do. Okay, so 2016, I started feeling like, dude, you're my brother in Christ. Why is there so much divisiveness? And, and I would have friends who were, who were sold-out Christians saying, I can't stand that other candidate. And this anger was coming out of, of Christians. I, di- I didn't get it. So that kind of blew over and... And I was, I was watching news. See, I've never really been kind of a news kind of person because I just know it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's about money or something. But those four years passed. People were crushed at what happened. And then 2020 was the next round of the same stuff. Like people just coming out and saying, like, I can't believe who's running. I can't. And they got so political. And the eyes got so taken off of the father and onto stuff, worldly stuff, again. And again, I found myself becoming distanced, not by my, not, not that I wanted it to happen, but 
People didn't want to talk to me anymore. Like, chaps, who are you, who are you voting for? Whose team are you on? And my answer was always the same. Well, I'm on Team Jesus. I'm on Team Jesus. And I voted for my guy, and he won. He's on the throne. So the day, the, in 2016 and 2020, the day after the election, I, I had a, people who were sending me text messages and just getting all, all like antsy and anxious. I would send them a text message. Say, hey, guys, I checked the results. Uh, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still in control. He's never been off the throne. So I've never been worried. Plus, I know my history, too. And this time is not as bad as some of the atrocities that this world has seen. I mean, in this very land 80 years ago, that's a bad time. 200 years ago, that's a bad time. 2,000 years, that's a bad time. Jesus' time, that's a bad time. Genocides, homicides, all kinds of atrocities. But everybody, Jesus is in control. In fact, how I've always began my day ever since it was around like 2015. And I would like to do it now, just take a moment. I've always started the day with two questions. It's a little kingdom exercise. I got it from C.S. Lewis. You know C.S. Lewis, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, Lloyd of the Dawn Trade. Amazing, brilliant mind in love with Jesus. He said every morning he wakes up, he feels like these animals are rushing him, and he's got to push them back in their cage and then find a time of peace and solace in the morning. And he does it through two questions. The two questions he asks are, who's in control? And the second one is, to whom shall I listen to today? So can we pause for a moment and do this kingdom exercise? I want you to, it's a repeat after me prayer. Very simple. Just repeat this after me. Bow your heads, please, if you will. Say, dear Lord, who's in control? And to whom shall I listen to today? Lord, thank you that you are in control and thank you that I have the privilege to listen to you today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy towards me. Amen. That's kingdom living, friends. How does that feel? To just, to just shoot straight with God and say, God, who's in control? This world seems like it's way out of control. I'm losing friends. I'm losing family. It seems like by the day, just for what I believe in and what I stand for, are you in control? Okay, thank God. She should calm us down. Uh, I try to stay off the news and off the social media off because it kind of gets my heart rate going. And then, I'll, and then I'll listen to the scriptures. I'll listen to the word. I'll open up my Bible app, and it starts to calm me down because peace and truth is the only thing I need. I don't need to, I don't need to know what's going on out, out there. I don't need to watch the news because it's tainted anyways. But that's kind of like the theme here. See, what you heard last week was Jesus went to his hometown and he preached the greatest sermon that the world had ever heard at the time. I mean, he made Isaiah 51 come to life. No one had ever in the history of the world at this point had preached like Jesus preached because he was the Messiah. I'm actually getting goosebumps right now thinking about what that would have looked like and what it would have felt like for the Messiah to come into the room and to, say, and to read the scriptures and say, by the way, this is fulfilled here today in your hearing. Has anybody watched the Chosen, the Chosen series? Raise your hand if you watched the Chosen series. 
Isn't that the greatest series of Jesus, right? Yes. You got to watch that. And I hate shooting all over people, but you should really, really watch that. Okay? It gets you, if you want to step into the world of Jesus and, and really see what, what he was going through, I think they've done it best. Rather, I've, I've been watching a lot of Jesus films throughout my, my whole life, throughout my whole 19 years of existence. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm a lot older than that. But, but I've been watching Jesus films a lot from the one we had in the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, the Stoic Jesus film is translated in like a bazillion languages to, to the one now. To the Gospel of John one was pretty good. That was like early 2000s. But the Chosen series gets really in this, it shows a lot of humanity of the disciples and what, how Jesus handled them and their own divisiveness. And there was a bunch of bigotry and hatred even amongst Jesus' tight crew. Right? Like the crew is always picking on Matthew, like, you traitor. You call yourself a Jew. You were stealing from us. You don't even belong in this group. And then there was peacemakers. Like, you guys say, hey, hey, come on, man. Jesus brought him into this group. Leave him alone. And then the women would step in. And then, and then it was this, it was so like us. But Jesus comes in every time with grace and peace. Even when they're fighting amongst themselves. Tearing each other apart, Jesus comes in with grace and peace. So, Jesus preaches the greatest sermon, right, in the the beginning of this passage, in the beginning of this chapter, and then it's met with the greatest rejection ever. And I start to think about all the rejection. It really breaks my heart. Like, it it makes, it brings me to tears. Like, I thought these guys were my friends, and we started finding out what we believe about what's currently going on, if you know what I mean, if you could read between, and they don't want to talk to me anymore? Bizarre. You know, what was hard about 2020, 2021, was not really the, the, the politics and who won this and who won that and did they steal this or were they lying about that? No, 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 it was about relationships that I had lost. See, in 2021... I also buried my dad. His death, I knew it was Hebrews 12, 9. It's appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. Didn't matter. matter. My dad was only uh, 66 years old. Didn't matter. They, the, the, he came into the hospital for, for uh, pneumonia, and they gave him some, some uh, controversial drug called remdesivir, and then it killed. It didn't matter. If I start to think about all the details of that thing, I lose sight of the fact that God is in control. He knows what he's doing. He's appointed for people to die once and after that to face judgment. And I've never been so sure of anybody in my life being in the presence of Jesus than when my dad died. But what hurt the most is when my dad took a stance on something for his own medical care. We had certain friends and family that says, oh, you're one of those. And then they stopped talking to us. They refused to come to the funeral. They labeled us as you, those. See, I, that's rejection. The greatest fear of man and woman is rejection. That's why for years I didn't share anything about myself because I'm afraid of being rejected. That's why it's so easy. That's why when, when I'll speak for myself in I statements, I love talking about Theological debates, dogmatic theology, systematic theology. Let's go, let's go fight over some Bible passages, right? For years, for years, I love doing that. 
And your thing might be you must love debating politics and what's going on. But you know what the two easiest topics in the world to talk about are? Religion and politics. Why? Because when I'm talking about those two topics, I never have to really talk about what's going on in my own soul. I never have to make myself vulnerable. The more and more I talk about those things, it's just, it's fun because it's comfortable and I don't have to tell you of the sins in my life right now, what I did last night, what I did five years ago and I'm hoping nobody ever knows about, what I did behind my wife's back and hope she never finds out. The more and more I talk about these two comfortable topics, I don't have to confess my sins. But God's saying, why don't we drop those easy topics and go into something really about your heart? Ryan, you're right. And so I got slowly brought into to knowing gospel-centered community, which is marked by confession and repentance in the midst of people who love me despite knowing everything about me. That's what we should be cultivating as a church. It's easy. I'll tell you one of the easiest things is to come up here and preach the word. That's easy. It's going home and living it. That's pretty challenging. Going to work, that is so easy. Going to work and encouraging people is easy. Coming home, stepping on some Legos, and then seeing the house is not the way I want it, and yelling at a kid for stepping on a clean floor because he's trying to show me a, a painting, that's where the rubber meets the road. All the parents are laughing with me, not at me. So, so Jesus here, he's, he just got done talking about a passage. And if you see this passage before, it's predominantly about freedom. Preaching the gospel to the poor, that's about freedom. Preaching... Um, Released to the captives. That's about spiritual freedom, not just physical freedom. Preaching about recovery of sight to the blind is not literally about just blind people, but about spiritual blindness. People who have a lot of religion, they do a lot of church, they do a lot of this, but they have no relationship with God. Jesus came to set people free from that kind of blindness. To set freedom, to set free the oppressed is talking about broken people with wounds. Jesus came to set them free so they're no longer operating out of their wounds. How many of us have operated out of their wounds? I know I have. And when I operate out of my wounds, people get hurt. A lot of collateral damage happening. A lot of deflection happening, taking out anger on innocent people because of my own wounds. But when I bring my wounds to Jesus, when I bring the wounds to Jesus, he begins to heal me. He's already done it. Like that song said, the victory is his. Jesus is undefeated in all his matches. He's never even been taken down. I'm a wrestler, so I think in terms of wrestling, right? He's never even been scored on. He's a good God. Okay, I should probably get into today's passage, right? <laughs> but that's the background. The background is so important. Any text without a context ain't no text. So let's go now to verse 22. Okay, this is our passage for today. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And yet that crowd said, the end of 22, isn't, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's um, son? Isn't this James' older brother? You know, the, the Jesus. He was walking around. He used to help his dad out in, in the shop, in Joseph's shop, in the carpentry shop. We know his sisters. He didn't know Jesus had siblings. 
Jesus is in his hometown. Remember this. Now, I, I know what this feels like. My last duty station, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, which if you've ever heard of California, it's a very conservative place in, in, on, on the mainland, right? So, no, but I was from Southern California, right? Camp Pendleton's right here, right on the coast, right by uh, Richard Nixon's old mansion. And I grew up in the very next city right above. So how, how stoked was I after years, after years of being gone to come back to my hometown, I, I, I linked up with my old wrestling coaches. I saw my old teachers, my art teacher, Mr. Delaney. I saw him. We joined a church where a lot of people knew me as a, as a little kid. I'm still little, but not a kid anymore. You know what I mean? So after that, what do you think people s said when they saw me? Dude, Ryan, you're a pastor now? You're a chaplain? I want to hear you preach. When, when are you preaching next? And then I would tell them, I'm, I'm at Heritage Christian Fellowship. I'm teaching on this day. And then they would show up. That's exactly what's going on here with Jesus. They're like, wait, Jesus? I remember you. You're a rabbi now. I've heard. I've heard. Did you really turn water into wine in Capernaum? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. My, my, my mom. My mom had me, but you know, I didn't. I don't want to get involved. I said it's not my time. But 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 you know, yeah, that was me. You turned water into. I, we heard about that. Didn't you heal that guy's son as well? Like all Jesus did two miracles before this time. Right? And he's been on the road for about five months, the scholars tell us. If you look at the passage, it looks like he went from the wilderness temptation right into this, but he didn't. It, he actually did a circuit in Capernaum for about four to five months, maybe upwards of half a year. And so now word is spreading about him, and that's why people are speaking well of him, because he's on a roll. Jesus is on a roll. And if you just watch The Chosen, watch the episode where he turns water into wine, beautiful. So good, so good. Okay, uh, and then verse 23. Here's where it's going to shift, okay? Verse 23, uh, 4, 23. Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. So Jesus is sitting down, right? He read, this, he read the scroll of Isaiah. He read verses 1 and 2, and he didn't finish chapter uh, verse 2, but... After he's done reading it, he sat down, as that was the custom. When, when a rabbi was about to teach something good, he would sit down. And then he starts telling people what they're thinking. How scary would that be? If you're sitting in the crowd, and, you're, and, you're, and then these religious people are saying, I want to see this guy. He calls himself a uh, you know, prophet. I want to see him prophesy. He calls himself a doctor. I want to see him heal somebody. And then Jesus, because he's God, says, you're going to say this to me. If I was the person in the crowd, I'd be like, he just read my mind. He just read my mind. And that's exactly what's going on. Jesus is God. Okay, let's not forget that. Jesus is God. He can read people's mind. He reads their hearts. And then he says this, verse 24. He, al he also said, truly I tell you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months. It's a long time. While a great famine came over all the land, verse 26. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. 27. And in the, in the prophet's uh, Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, 
and yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrians, the Syrian. Now what just happened here? Okay, so, so watch this. Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61. One of the greatest, probably one of my favorite Old Testament passages of all time because it shows Jesus, if, if I want to get all military here, Jesus' five operational objectives in his ministry, right? Jesus' five lines of operation. This is mission statement to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is called the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, and it's a year of canceling all debts. It's a year of forgiveness. It's, it's an amazing year where everybody just forgave everybody. Everybody released their slaves. If you owed somebody land, you just gave it back. It was a year of that. So if you see the theme, the predominant theme, when Jesus reveals his five operational objectives, it's freedom, 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 freedom. Forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. You get Jesus' theme? You get why he was here? To set us free. Because everything holding us back today has to do with bitterness, unforgiveness, guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. All those things are bitterness. Bitterness is this. You owe me. You said something to me? You owe me. That's anger. Bitterness is this. You know, I can't believe what I did last year. I owe me something. That's called guilt. Thinking I owe myself something. You know what jealousy is? Jealousy is looking at God and saying, God, you owe me. Why was I born into this tax bracket? Why couldn't I be born into that tax bracket? I wasn't afforded the opportunity. God, you owe me something better. See that debtor language? That's jealousy. You know what greed is? Greed is, hey, when I left my last duty station, I wanted this color ribbon, not this color ribbon. My work owes me something. I wanted a pat on the back. I did so much for those guys. They didn't give me anything. Just give me a silly little NAM or whatever. That's a Navy, a Navy achievement medal. Anyways, the world doesn't owe me anything, but that's greed. Guilt, anger, greed, jealousy. If you pay attention to all these things, they're debt, debtor language. You owe me, I owe me, God owes me, the world owes me. But Jesus came to set us free so we could cancel every single debt. That's how Jesus defines forgiveness in Matthew 18. I don't have time to go there today. Look it up for yourself. When you want to forgive someone, you, you cancel someone's debt. And you say, you know what? You don't owe me a thing, brother. Jesus paid the tab and he left the tip, so there's nothing for you to do. I'm just here to love you now. And we can love each other. Look at the theme of Jesus, right? Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Freedom, 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 freedom. And then, watch this, he goes from a passage that all the Jews love. All the Jews love Isaiah 61. Why? Because it talks about the year of the Lord's favor. It talks about vengeance of the Lord for him to set them free from oppression. They've been under oppression for a long time. It talks about vengeance. It talks, Isaiah 61, I'll just, I'll just read it to you. Look at this. Isaiah 61. Okay, Jesus reads and he stops at to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you look at Isaiah 61, if you keep going, this is what he left out. This is why they start to get angry at Jesus. This says this, to proclaim comfort to all who mourn. Before that, he says, the, uh, the day of God's vengeance. 
where the people are no longer oppressed by the people that are oppressing them. Okay? They've been taken into captivity time after time after time. And when Jesus is preaching this, there's actually Roman guards outside on their horses giving people a hard time, enabling these tax collectors who were Jewish people who would turn on their own people and steal money from people. Like, oh, you're a fisherman, huh? How much did you catch today? Yeah, that belongs to us. Give it up. And this guy's like, I just broke my back trying to get all these fish in here. Yeah, that belongs to Caesar. Come here. Give, give me that money. Boom. That's the kind of person. That's, the kind of, that's what's going on here. That's what they want freedom from. But Jesus gives them something, freedom, that's so much deeper than the actual thing that's going on around them. It's a freedom that's within. Verse 3, Isaiah 61.3. To provide, uh, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. So if you're a good Jew sitting in the synagogue, you go like, why did that guy stop reading? He stopped reading at verse 2. Well, they didn't have verses back then, but they would have had this memorized. Like, keep reading, rabbi. But no, 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 Jesus stops reading right there because it's not for this time. The salvation, for the, it's for another time, for the future, for another, if you will, the word dispensation. It's for another time. So he stops reading there. They want him to continue reading, and Jesus goes even further. And out of nowhere, he pulls in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Jesus is God, so he's got the whole Bible memorized. So he just starts, in, in, he gives it like 15, 15 seconds per passage. The first passage is uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. It's about Elijah, the prophet Elijah, and the widow. Okay, that's just, that's, that's example one number one. This widow is not a Jew. Okay, we're, we're tracking that. The second passage Jesus mentions is 2 Kings 5, 1 through 27. It's about this guy named Naaman, the Syrian, who has leprosy. That's like the triple whammy. Like, wait, why are you reading about another Gentile, Jesus? First of all, we wanted you to keep reading Isaiah 61, because that's an awesome passage, but you denied us that. And then you mentioned this Gentile widow. And then you mentioned this other Gentile, and I'm naming the Syrian, who's a leper. That's like the worst of the worst. And look where Jesus goes, okay? So he's like, Isaiah 61, boom. First Kings, second Kings, God's bringing salvation to non-Jews. He talks about Elijah ministering to this widow. He talks about Elisha, another rock star prophet, cleansing Naaman of his disease. In the midst, when a lot of Jews in this time had leprosy, Elisha, the prophet, didn't heal any of the Jews. He went to this Gentile and healed him. Watch their reaction. Verse 28. This is classic. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. Right? They're filled with anger. Anytime you are filled with something, it begins to control you. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is basically bad stuff. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Whatever fills you controls you. If you fill yourself with wine, you will start walking like this. If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll start loving people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Scripture. It's Galatians 5. They're filled with anger, so they are filled with rage, and then they're filled with murderous thoughts. Whatever fills your soul will work its way into your body, or you can reverse it. Look how I am acting, and it'll reveal where my heart is. Every time. In raising children, I've learned, instead of, instead of correcting the behavior, we're going to address the heart. Because out of the heart flow the actions. Out of the heart flow the emotions, the words, everything. And for Jesus, the physician, to go to work at our own souls too, it's about the heart. The heart of every issue is the issue of the heart. Jesus knows their hearts are ethnocentric, ethnic superiority. He knows they're bigots. He knows they're racist. And so that's why he shifts really fast. I'm going from Isaiah to two examples that are going to make you guys so mad. Actually, he didn't make them mad. They chose to be mad. Okay? When they heard this, they were enraged. They got up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the edge of the hill that it was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But Jesus passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I can't help but laugh when I read this passage because I think of like, what did that look like? And they, did, they haven't created this scene in, in, the, in the Chosen, but I can imagine they're trying to grab him and either Jesus is doing some sort of matrix movement like <laughs> and dancing around them or I don't know, maybe tripping people. I don't know. I'm a wrestler, so I tend to think he like souffled somebody or you know, lateral dropped somebody, but I don't know. All I know is you get an angry mob, maybe about this many people, right? Get them! Get them! And Jesus is like, not my time. And he just walks on his way. One little takeaway from that. If it's not your time to die and it wasn't Jesus' time, you will not die. Do we hear, we hear that? Like, if it's not your time to die, you could never die. If it is your time to die, you're going to die. You will die. I could walk off this ledge here and then die if it's my time. But if it's not my time, then I'm free to live. What did 2020 and 2021 do to us that Christians started fearing getting sick? Christians started fearing dying. But Jesus said, we're not supposed to fear anything. Freedom from fear of death and sickness and dying. And actually, I, I, I read a book by Francis Chan called uh, You and Me Forever. Have anybody read that one? And there was In one chapter, he's, he was on a plane and his daughter said, Dad, what if this plane crashed? We would all be with Jesus. And everybody else on the plane looked at him like, this family's crazy. But they fostered that in their kids, not to look at death as the end of something awesome, as if this world is better than heaven, but to be absent from the body, to be face to face with the Lord. We're not supposed to fear death. We're not supposed to fear dying. I'm not afraid to get sick. I'm not afraid to die. Because I'm not afraid to be with Jesus. Let's, why don't we roll model that for the rest of the world? So when they heard this, going back to 28, they were enraged. If this whole thing 
if Jesus' whole mission in life was to set people free, freedom, 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 forgiveness, forgiveness, and he jumps right into this, maybe this is what they were really dealing with. Their, their racist bigotry, thinking they're superior because of their ethnicity. Does this exist anywhere today? Or maybe it's not this. Maybe it's you vote like what? You, you, you follow who? And then that kind of bigotry. Okay, well, I'm obviously better than you because I believe like this. Well, I can't believe you people. I, we're better than you. Or maybe it's something not that subtle. Maybe it's, wait, what denomination are you? <laughs> you exegete this passage like that? See, it can creep in in any way. It can creep in in any way. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And Jesus comes to set people free from this. That's that passage for today. Church, what would this look like if we followed Jesus in the fight for freedom? If Jesus came so people could be set free from several things, including thinking people were superior to others, what would that look like? I didn't know that this was a reality in my life until I was stationed in Hawaii. Like, I grew up in California, right? There were four Filipinos at my high school, and it was me, my brother, and my sisters, okay? I've always been a minority. I've always been a minority. Then I get to Hawaii, and I start to feel this, and it was already a dark time in my life anyways where I thought I was better than someone because I had a master of divinity, whatever, whatever that means, right? Master of nothing. So it was already a dark time because of this spiritual arrogance, and I started, I'm just going to be transparent and vulnerable here, right? There was a time in Hawaii when I was thinking like, I belong here. You don't belong here because the color of your skin. How, how, how evil was that? There is no local unless you're Adam and you came out of the dirt. He's the only local in the world. Everybody else migrated everywhere. So in order to become racist, I have to believe a lie first. Have you read Genesis? Like, we kind of come from two people. Adam and Eve. So in order for me to think I'm superior based off of the color or, or how much melanonin is in my skin or whatever it's called, I first have to reject the truth that we all came from Adam and Eve. I have to believe lies and then I have to believe more lies and then the icing on the cake is I'm so much better than you and I should be afforded more uh, opportunities and privileges than you because you look different than me. No, Jesus came to set us free from that garbage. For Jesus, there is no color. There's no Jew or no Gentile. Jesus says, I'm trying to get you back to the Father. I'm not trying to create homogenous groups here or there. I'm trying to bring everybody together because everybody needs to get back to the Father. The Father is the destination. We're not even trying to get to heaven. Have you heard that? When I die, I'm going to get to heaven. No, actually, John 14, 6, the destination is the Father. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So I don't pray for any of you to go to heaven when you die. I want you to go to heaven now, today. Start living here on earth as it is in heaven. Start living kingdom lives. What would the church look like if we, if we did this, right? If we look right past all the easy issues and said, you know, can we just step aside from this little political theological debate right now and I just, 
man, my heart's so dark right now. I'm, I want to expose myself and then have God meet you there in that, in that moment, in a moment of confession and repentance in these little church communities. How powerful would that be? No one would be able, no one, the world wouldn't be able to touch us because we wouldn't have anything hidden. And I would be on point with Jesus' mission to, to also see it in myself and to be walking in freedom and to be able to see it in the communities that God has me in. And, and I have availed myself so that my friends and my brothers, I got about seven guys that I could list that know everything about me that they can call me out any time. They know all my sins. No secrets. No secrets at all. Because I'm walking in freedom. Lastly, I'll just talk about, since I've been talking about uh, freedom, 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 forgiveness, what is true freedom in the biblical sense? Well, if you look at 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says this, 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, true freedom isn't the absence of something in my life. True freedom is the presence of someone. So I might say to myself, you know what, I still have this kind of tendency to think like this, and oh gosh, I'm not free anymore, and God's, God's encouraging me. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You are free, start walking in it. Okay, you dabbled right back into this type of ethnic superiority, complex, sin, deception. Ryan, just confess it. And so the mantra of my life has now got to be confession, and repentance in the midst of the community that he's brought me in, which now it's, it's, it's here. It's in this place. It's in an awesome place called Patch where we live. We're building kingdom communities. Thank you, Father, for this, for this time, for this time here on earth where there is so much going on around us and you are directing our attention to what's going on inside us. Lord, we confess, I confess, tendencies, tendencies towards bigotry, superiority, and thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we join you as freedom fighters in the fight for freedom, for people's sight, for their healing, for their spiritual bondage, freedom from racism and bigotry and superiority complexes. We thank you for empowering us to carry out this mission. May we live free, Lord. It's for freedom that you have set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.